I hope we realize what all Jesus is saying here. That you can look at all kinds of things that Jesus did, the miracles that he did, the demons that he drove out, the teachings that he taught. But if you really want a sign of whether or not Jesus is true, look at the resurrection. When Jesus spent three days and three nights dead in the ground, he should have stayed there. Everybody else stays there. Except Jesus. The sermon that you're about to hear is from Pastor Paul Borman at Hope Lutheran Church, located in Tigard, Oregon. For more information and for more content, go to hopeintiger.com. We've got in front of us a beautiful scripture from Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 through 45 this morning. Let's read it together. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now something greater than Solomon is here. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean, and put in order. Then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. That is how it will be with this wicked generation. This is the gospel of the Lord. So there's a lot going on in that particular text. And so I think it makes sense to start like this. Sometimes you just got to respect greatness. Sometimes you just got to acknowledge the fact that someone else is much better than you at doing a particular thing. Take Michael Jordan, for example. He knew that he was better at basketball than anyone else. And he knew everybody else knew that too. And he took advantage of it. When he was at the top of his game, and especially when the Bulls were winning everything and everybody was already recognizing that he was a legend, before those games, especially home games, Michael Jordan would go into the other team's locker room while they were getting ready, and he would just stand there and look at him. (laughs) And one by one, all of the opposing team players would stop in their tracks and stare back at him. And then once everything was quiet, and they were all watching him, watching them, He would just walk out. And in doing this, he would take control of the game before it even started. They all looked at him, Michael Jordan, six foot six inches tall, and he'd leave with the effect, with the thought that, oh man, this guy's better than me. (laughs) They'd all have the chance to look at him, and the guy especially who was going to be guarding Michael Jordan, he'd have enough time to look and think, oh man, this guy is going to drop 40 to 60 points on me tonight. 
Now, how does this relate to this morning's text from Matthew? The Pharisees ask Jesus for a sign. And why do they do that? And Jesus responds to the Pharisees' request harshly. Why does he respond harshly? They had just been told by Jesus that they were guilty of the sin against the Holy Spirit. What that is, is is it's the sin of unbelief. And maybe even more dangerous than that, it's the sin of unbelief by a person who already knows the gospel of Jesus. And so the Pharisees respond to this accusation by asking for a sign. And what this does, it, it basically confirms Jesus' accusation because someone who knows Jesus and believes Jesus does not need to see another sign because they already believe. And so that's why Jesus responds so harshly. He says, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign. These are harsh words. And what, is, what do they mean? What is Jesus accusing of them Uh, really, imagine this. We'll go back to the basketball thing, the Michael Jordan thing. Let's say I get signed up to play on a national, uh, an NBA team. And Michael Jordan comes into the locker room before the game, and I know he's there. And I intentionally keep my back turned to him. I intentionally keep talking, and I turn my music up. And I disrespect him like that. And then we get out onto the court, and it's me versus him for the jump ball, and I figure I'm probably going to win it. I tell you what, the moment that ball gets tossed up into the air, I am going to fit the description of being a wicked and adulterous generation. I'm going to fit the description of being a fool thinking that five foot eleven me can out jump Michael Jordan at six six. I'm going to fit the description of that fool ignoring the truth that is right in front of my face. And what this is, I know it's a silly example. It's a pithy physical example of what the, the Pharisees were doing spiritually intentionally ignoring the clear and obvious truth that was right in front of them. I mean, Christ heals a man right in front of their faces. Then he drives out a demon in front of their eyes, and they call him a demon. And then they ask him for proof that he is God's son. As if their belief system was going to be changed by seeing another sign. You know what that is? That's unbelief. That's unbelief. And here's your first sermon note about that. If you'd like to keep track, you, you can keep track on the backside of, of your sermon card, your worship card. This is your first sermon note. Unbelief is having your heart full of self. Unbelief is a heart full of self. I think it's good to think of unbelief in this way. I think we often think of unbelief as having your heart empty of Jesus, as having a God-sized hole in your heart. But we see later on in this text that that's not true. Unbelief does not mean having an empty heart. It means a ha- having a full heart, a heart full of self. This is why Jesus would not agree to give them a sign, even though the Pharisees are telling him with their mouths that they will believe and they will follow him if they just give him one more sign. And maybe you've wondered this before. I know I certainly have. 
Why doesn't God just give us a sign in the sky in blazing letters proving once and for all that he is real and that he is all-powerful and that he is the Lord of creation? And why doesn't Jesus just come down and go on national television and do an interview with Oprah so that everybody can hear the truth that he is the way, the truth, and the life? Why won't he do that? Well, I mean, for one thing, he did do that. Jesus did come down to earth. He did do miracles. He did do signs. He did drive out demons. He did tell people exactly who he was and what was the result. He was crucified. Why doesn't God give us a sign in the sky? It's because God knows that he's dealing with a wicked and corrupt generation. It's because he already knows that people's hearts are full of themselves. You know, I've seen for myself that this is true. I I have a lot of stories already in my first 15 months of being a pastor here in Portland. I could share all these stories with you, the ways that, the times that I've had spiritual conversations with people, uh, times where I've gotten to share Jesus with people, where, where people have shared with me their spiritual burdens and shared things that they're struggling with, and I get to share with them the good news about Jesus, that he died on the cross and rose again to take away their burdens and heal their ills and bring them home to heaven. And here are some of the most popular answers that I receive. First one, I don't have space in my life for all of that right now. Or, I'm just not interested in a religious system. Or third one, I'll, I'll check it out when things calm down a little bit. Do you know what each one of those comments has in common? Each one begins with I. Those answers imply that even if Jesus did rise from the dead, even if that person saw him rise from the dead with their own eyes, they still might not be interested because unbelief doesn't happen because of a lack of signs and unbelief doesn't happen when hearts are empty. Unbelief happens when hearts are full. If Jesus had given the Pharisees a sign, they would not have accepted it. And the same goes for us. And yet, Jesus says, here's what I'm going to give you. In place of some other sign that you're not going to accept, I'm going to give you the sign of Jonah. And by the way, here's what the sign of Jonah is. It's a connection with what happened with Jonah, the prophet Jonah in the Old Testament that we heard about in the kids' sermon this morning. And it's a connection between that and what happens with Jesus. It's that Jonah was in the belly of a fish or a whale for three days and three nights. Jonah was supposed to be going to Nineveh, and he was supposed to be preaching repentance to the Ninevites, just like God told him to. But he didn't want to do that, and so he ran in the opposite direction. And so God sends a storm that doesn't go away until the sailors on the boat throw Jonah over the side when he admits to them that the storm was his fault. And as Jonah sinks to the bottom of the ocean, God sends a giant fish or that giant whale, to swallow him up, and he's in there for three days. And then the fish spits him out on the shore three days later. That's what happened. 
So Jesus is saying, just like that happened, just as Jonah was in an impossible situation because of sin, so also the Son of Man, Jesus, is going to be in the belly of the earth for three days on account of sin, and he's also going to come out. I hope we realize what all Jesus is saying here. That you can look at all kinds of things that Jesus did, the miracles that he did, the demons that he drove out, the teachings that he taught. But if you really want a sign of whether or not Jesus is true, look at the resurrection. When Jesus spent three days and three nights dead in the ground, he should have stayed there. Everybody else stays there. Except Jesus. When God, in his perfection, gives up his life for his people, he conquers sin. And when God conquers sin, God conquers death. And what that means is that death cannot hold him. And if death cannot hold Jesus, that means that death cannot hold us. This is the good news that fills our hearts. This is what Jesus wants our hearts to be filled with, not with signs, but with the truth that he is who he says he is, that he is our Savior from death. Jesus wants our hearts to be filled with his saving power. And so, pay attention to that transition there, because this is a transition between two topics. And so, Jesus gives us a teaching that boggled my mind for a good part of this week. It's a teaching that says that when a demon gets thrown out of a person, it goes out and it tries to find rest. And a demon isn't going to find rest unless it's making somebody miserable, and so it decides to go back to that same person it was in before. And the demon, if it finds that place unoccupied, then the demon is going to go out and find seven more powerful friends to come in and party. And that person is going to be much worse off. What this teaching is doing is it's reflecting the truth that Jesus had recognized in the hearts of the Pharisees. This is your second sermon note, by the way. It's this, that a person's heart never remains empty. Jesus is teaching us this, that a person's heart never remains empty. And we can see that this is true in a lot of ways, I think. We can talk about this in terms of addiction. Generally speaking, one addiction replaces another. Hopefully the harmful and destructive addiction is replaced by a a constructive addiction. But generally speaking, one addiction replaces another. Another example of this, that a person's heart never remains empty, is in relationships. That when one relationship ends, maybe you've experienced this before, when one relationship ends, generally a person goes out and replaces that relationship with another one. There are all kinds of examples of this. We could probably go around the room and talk about this, how we can see in day-to-day life how a person's heart never remains empty. We want our hearts to be filled. And so I want to encourage you this morning Keep your heart filled with Jesus. 
Always be filling your heart with his word and his promises. I want to encourage you this morning to keep your heart full, and I also want to equip you to be able to do this as well. I want to equip you to keep your heart full of Jesus, to keep your defenses up so that nothing else is able to take root in your heart. And here's your best defense. I know we're talking a lot of sports this morning. (laughs) But here's your best defense. It's football season, right? We're a few weeks into it right now. The Ducks are doing great, at least at the time that I wrote this sermon, they were doing great. And the Beavers are doing great too. They're, they're number one in the Pac-12 right now. Seahawks are not doing as well. I think many of you are football fans, and so you'll get this. The saying is truer in football than it is in other sports, that the best defense is a good offense. Sometimes the best way to keep a team from scoring is to make sure that they have the ball as little as possible. And and here's how this teaching relates for us. The best way to defend your heart and to make sure that evil doesn't take root in your heart is for your heart to be filled already. Filled with Jesus. And Christians, here we go. Here's your best offense, people of hope. Jesus gives it to us in this text. Here's your third sermon note. The best defense is a good offense, and the best offense is a good Friday. The best offense is a good Friday. (laughs) Be filled with the resurrected Christ who turns the devil away at the door. Go to Good Friday. Go to Easter Sunday. See what happened when one real, actual solution defeated the biggest problem. See in God's word every day that Christ has risen. And with that truth, believe that every other promise that has been made to us in God's word will also be kept. Fill your heart with this. The Pharisees asked for a sign. They could not believe what was right in front of their eyes. In their hearts, they wanted to be MJ. They were already filled in their hearts with themselves, and so they asked for a sign. And so Jesus gave them a sign. He died on the cross for the whole world. Yes, for the Pharisees too, and yes, for you too. He died on the cross. He rose to conquer sin, to conquer death, and to fill your heart until Jesus comes again. This is the greatest sign that can be given. And it has been given to you.